0: Good morning, everyone. Well, it's the Lord's Day. It's September 27th, and it's actually Sunday school time. And I'm so sorry that I couldn't be with you this morning, and I appreciate Isaac so much for filling in and preaching, and I know he did a wonderful job. But um, I wanted to record this for a couple of reasons. First of all, I want to finish up our study in Haggai for this month. Next month, we'll be starting a uh, series in The Greatest Prayer in the Bible. I saw that title somewhere, and I really liked it. And it's John 17, Jesus' High Priestly Prayer when he was in the garden. And so we'll look forward to that, and we'll look forward to the 18th, I believe it is, when we'll be back in our classes, and I hope that you can join us for that. There'll be some people I know that still can't or don't feel comfortable with it and so i will still be recording the sunday school lessons uh for our broadcast on sunday nights for people who are in that situation well um little update on what's going on with me i uh last wednesday had one of those days where you know you just don't feel good and i couldn't really put my finger on anything just kind of blah and having uh, You know, one of those Geritol moments. You have to be a little older to understand what I just said. If you don't understand that, ask an old person. And uh, so, you know, went along with the day. It wasn't bad, bad, it wasn't good either. Um, Just one of those days. And I didn't think that much about it. Went to bed that night and, uh, you know, fell asleep as normal. And then woke up about two o'clock in the morning and when i woke up i could not breathe and of course that's always concerning i had to you know set up in order to you know get air and so um went and uh, sat in the living room in the recliner and uh, tried to go back to sleep setting up but i couldn't i was breathing so hard and breathing so heavy and could not um you know get caught up on that and every once in a while about every three or four minutes i would have a um Um, kind of a suffocating feeling, I guess. Uh, Closest thing I can relate it to is I can remember being a kid and being at the lake and going too deep and coming back up to the surface to get air, and I didn't think I was going to make it. And uh, then when you get up and get out of the water, you breathe, but you don't really feel much relief for a while. It was that kind of a feeling. And so I was thinking, well, something's obviously really wrong here. And I looked up the symptoms for COVID-19, and one of them is, you know, shortness of breath. So, I called the doctor the next morning, and they wanted me to go get a COVID test. So, we went to Norman and got a test. They said you would know something within two business days. Well, I got an email notification uh, that night, that evening, and it said that uh, uh, it was not detected, okay? Now... I found out later on that with these tests, that uh, if you get a negative, it's kind of like they told us with pregnancy tests, you know, a negative doesn't always mean negative. A positive is hundred percent. And that's kind of the way these tests are. If you get a positive, that's hundred percent. If you get a negative, maybe, maybe not, depending on the situation. So um, anyway, when it came back negative and then I started having increasing symptoms, um the doctor said okay when you come here pull around to the west entrance don't come in the main entrance and i started to say do i have to wear a bell and yell unclean but um anyway i didn't and so um they said we'll come out there and we're going to treat this like it is is 19. so i went in they examined me you know and we talked and all of that and she said uh, i want you to uh, go to Southwest Integris and get a chest x-ray Never had a chest x-ray so uh, first time for everything in there And so I went in there and it took of course, as you know longer to register and Longer to wait than it did for the 45 second uh, chest x-ray Well, the doctor called me about an hour later and said you've got pneumonia and you've got it in both lungs It's viral And um we uh, don't know what kind of virus caused it. She said it could be COVID-19 and the only way we'll know that is if you test again. I said, so what do I do in the meantime? She goes, well, if you test again and it's negative, then we're gonna assume that two negatives are a positive and uh, you know it just has to run its course. If you don't test, you need to consider this to be COVID and you need to be quarantined for the full 14 days minus you know what you've already been going through and so uh, I go I think I'll go get tested again so I'm going to do that in the morning and just see what is going on I am feeling some better um I will probably uh while we're doing this have to stop and cough or um you know you you may notice I'm breathing a little heavier or something like that um but we're going to make it through and so uh, that's, that's what's happening. So we really do appreciate your prayers as we go through all of this. Let me get uh, opened up here. And we are in Haggai. We are in the uh, second chapter. <clears throat> and we're going to be starting at verse 20. Now, one of the things that we have here is that this ends on a very hopeful note, a hopeful message. And this poor remnant of Jews who are um, insignificant to their rulers, insignificant to their government, um, insignificant on the international scene at this point, they are significant to God. Let that sink in. Significant to God. And He will triumph. They may not. And they don't have the capability of triumphing, but God always does. And that's what... um, I remember hearing a song one time, Jesus and me... We are a majority. Well, that makes me feel good, but Jesus doesn't even need me to be a majority. He already is. He rules and he reigns. And the fact that he would live in me and love me and give me promises, that's a hopeful thing because it means that people like you and me are never insignificant because we matter to God and because we are the elect of God and because we are the chosen of God, the children of God, the bride of Christ. Think about all of the names that the Lord has given to you and let that uh, sink into your your thinking and your being, your identity, who you are, because that really is important. In Haggai chapter 2, as we begin reading in verse 20, it says, And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down. Hey, that sounds familiar. It seems like God has done that before, doesn't it? In that day... Say, everyone by the sword of his brother. And verse 23, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. And that's how the book ends. It's a hopeful message. I'm going to take you, insignificant Zerubbabel, My servant, my servant. Now that's significant. You may be a nobody on the world stage, but don't let that intimidate you. You are my servant, he says. And then he talks about making him like a signet ring. What in the world is a signet ring? Well, back in those days, when kings had official documents that they wanted to send out, They would have the document, you know, written. They didn't have printing presses then. And they would fold it. And then they would put wax on the uh, back of it to seal it, to hold it all together, like licking an envelope. They put wax on that. And then they'd take their ring, and their ring had a certain uh, impression on it that they would put into the warm wax. And it would be sealed with the seal of the king. Now, that meant it was official. That meant you better not monkey with it. And that meant you also had better pay attention to it. It meant this is important. And God says, Hey, insignificant Zerubbabel, you know, I am going to uh, take you and I am going to make you like a signet ring. In other words, you're going to have my seal of official approval upon you. Okay, that's better than the good housekeeping seal, isn't it? And you are going to be an identifier of me. And people are going to hear your word. They're going to know what you are doing. They're going to know that you are chosen by me. That just like that document that would be sent out would be identified by the impression in the wax. You will be identified as my servant. (coughs) Hmm, Excuse me. Probably won't be the last time I do that. Uh, so let's talk about this. Number one, notice that this is a promise to be repeated. Again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai okay, on the 24th day of the month. Again, because God really only has to say something once in order to, uh, for it to be true. In other words, how many times does he have to say it once? That's all. But he is so good and kind, knowing that as frail children of dust, we're probably not going to get it unless he says it more than once. Did your parents ever tell you something like this? How many times do I have to tell you dot, dot, dot? Okay, it's kind of what the Lord is saying here. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to make sure you get this. I'm going to make sure this doesn't pass you by. I'm going to make sure that you don't just, like we tend to do, in our quiet time sometimes. It's a good thing to have a quiet time. Never disparage that. That's always good. But, you know, sometimes, being honest, when we have our quiet time in the morning, I'm going to read two chapters out of a certain book of the Bible. Good gravy. How long is this chapter? Anyway, you, you've you done that and uh, it it seems like we kind of blaze by it so we can be done with it, and we don't really pay attention. This is God's gracious way of saying, what I am saying to you is so important. Don't just blaze right by it. Take some time to savor it and listen to it and understand how important all of this is. And notice that once more he promises to shake the nations. Zerubbabel, Joshua, Joshua, and all the people that are listening to you, what you see right now on the world stage is going to change. It's not going to be this way forever because the nations don't control me and the nations don't control their destiny or anything like that. I control everything that is going on. I raise them up, I pull them down. Good word for America to remember, isn't it? And so uh, once more, he's going to shake up things on the world scene, and he's right, reminding the people of God about the ultimate victory of Messiah, Christ, the Lord Jesus. Um, when we read in Revelation eleven fifteen, and I'm going to read it out of the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible, it says, um, "The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah." and he will reign forever and ever. Isn't that good? That's the promise. That's the ultimate thing. Now, there are a lot of different viewpoints about how and when and everything about the Lord coming back, post premillennial, pre-millennial, amillennial, and all of that. But one thing that all believers agree on, we may disagree about the timing and some of the other stuff that goes on with it, but we all agree he is coming back and that he is going to reign, that is the promise. And the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, speaking about eschatology or last things, it says, therefore encourage, some translations say, comfort one another with these words. These are comforting words in troubled times. God is in control, Jesus is going to return, all of his promises are going to be fulfilled and he has particular promises That he gives to Israel, and he gives them to Joshua, the high priest, and to Zerubbabel, who is the governor. The political and religious realm, he speaks to all of them and says, Now give the message to all of the people. So it is a promise that is to be repeated. Boy, we can't get enough of the promises of God, can we? Number two, it's a promise of certainty, okay? He says in verse 21, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will, not I might, not I hope to, I will shake heaven and earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Now, these Gentile empires, they always seem to be unshakable, immovable, unopposable, you know, with very few exceptions. How many revolutions actually work out? And how many times do you overthrow? Now, maybe you overthrow a tribal leader. Maybe you overthrow a village leader or something like that. But how many times do you overthrow an empire? Well, (coughs) excuse me. This is what God is promising, just as he has overthrown empires in the past. The uh, Babylonian Empire, they had come in, plundered the temple, and uh, pulled God's people out of the promised land into exile for some 70 years. Well, then the Persian Empire overthrew them. And right now, when this book is being written, Israel is being ruled by a Persian king. Seems like an immovable thing. I mean, Persians are powerful at this point. But you know, there's going to come along a guy named Alexander the Great, and he's going to topple the Persian kingdom. And then the Romans are going to take over. And of course, that's when the Lord Jesus and the apostles were um, living and ministering under the rule of the Roman Empire. This is just the way things go. Empires are built and fallen. They rise, they disappear. Some of them we've heard of. They're very famous. Some of them we've never heard of, not in our culture, in our part of the world. And uh, all all this kind of stuff, it just happens. Presidents come and they go. Supreme Court justices, as we have seen recently, they come and they go. This is just the way life is. And so uh, God is saying, everything I'm telling you now, it looks unreasonable and it looks irrational. You know, one of the things that is amazing to me about the Bible is how many ancient cultures have you seen that have been revived? Now, maybe sometimes we discover our roots, okay? Maybe we go to ancestry DNA and we find out what we were and we study a little bit more about it. But nobody fully embraces and lives the way their ancestors lived especially not in America. We're all immigrants, aren't we? And here we are living in this land, and it's kind of the big melting pot, and so we have a lot of things that are interesting and maybe some uh, cultural things that we participate in, but the rise of an ancient culture, thousands of years old, just unheard of. No Assyrians running around, right? There's nobody... Uh, running around in the world today, no Hittites or anything like that. Uh, There are some Persians, they're called Iranians. There are some Babylonians, they're called Iraqis. But uh, they're different, much, much different than they were back in Bible times because they're mainly Muslim now, right? And uh, back then the Muslim religion didn't exist. They were some other kind of uh, pagan religion. But there is one group that exists now, in modern times, in the same land, worshiping the same God, the same religious practices, and speaking the same language. You know who that is? Israel. That's an amazing thing. That just doesn't happen. But that had been foretold. It had been promised. And Israel is back in the land right now. And God said, listen, way back then when Israel was just a remnant, just kind of like a political football, just being kicked around and uh, great empires would clash and meet on Israeli soil and uh, all kinds of things would happen there. And yet Israel was not really a major player in all of this. And God is saying to them, it may not look like anything's going to happen, but I'm going to shake up everything. I'm going to shake heaven. There are going to be signs in the atmosphere, and there's also going to be tremendous things that are going to happen on earth. And he uses, I will, two times. That's a a certainty here. And he says, I'm going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. That's the language of conquering, right? And looking to the day when the Messiah will rule on the earth. Now, notice, thirdly, it's a promise of justice. He goes, I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. Well, who is it that had overthrown and plundered Israel and ruined it and ravaged it? Why is Israel in the shape that it is in? Well, ultimately, we go back to the sovereignty of God. This was God's discipline on them. But it was also the uh, will of the Gentile nations to do this. They wanted to do this. They hated God, they hated the Jews, they hated the temple, they hated the worship, they hated all of that. And they saw that their um, coming into Israel and doing that is, our God has defeated your Hebrew God. Our mighty God has defeated your puny little punky God. And God took that personally, didn't he? In fact, he says in the book of uh, Ezekiel several times, The reason I brought you back into the land is because your sin caused me to discipline you. And that discipline made me look bad in front of all of the pagan nations. So I brought you back into the land and I didn't do it for your sake. I did it for my sake. You profaned me, he said, among the nations. You know, there's a good principle there. That happens to us as well. Whenever God disciplines us as he promises to, A Christian that is under the chastisement of God is not a good advertisement for God. We're not a good witness for God. We are not a good display uh, of God. And so he takes that personally. Well, that's what he was saying to Israel. And he is telling them that uh, all of this stuff that's going to happen is going to bring justice back. Oppressors and those who enslave, they're going to have their power destroyed. You and I can count on that, even today. Military might is irrelevant when it comes to the judgment of God. You can't trust in tanks. You can't trust in nuclear weapons. Not when God's putting his judgment upon you. And military might is irrelevant. And notice who does this. Is it the devil? Is it us? God makes it very clear. He said, I will. The Lord the Lord is going to personally see to it that everything is set right one of these days. Hey, somebody say amen and breathe a sigh of relief. We're going to be okay when it comes to the very end. All of the prayers are going to be answered and all of the promises <coughs> excuse me, are going to be fulfilled. And number four, it's a promise of authority. Authority is very important in the Bible. In that day, verse 23, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. You know, Zerubbabel was a descendant of King David, and the signet ring was the sign, as we said earlier, of power and authority and honor. It was almost like the king's scepter. Remember the story in Esther that when you walked in in front of the king, if the king raised his scepter, you were okay. If he didn't, you died. And uh, the signet ring was kind of like that. This meant that whatever this document said, it had the king's approval, the king's authority, and the king's name on it. And Zerubbabel represented David, whose descendant, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, would rule the earth. You remember in Luke 1 32 and 33, there's a promise, says he, talking about Jesus, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. So that's the hope that we have. God's not through. And what we see going on at this particular moment And all of the tangled mess, the lies, the deceit, the oppression, all of that stuff that goes on in politics and in the world, we say, how do we ever get out of this? How do we untangle it? There was a a story that said uh, that there was a knot, and it was called the Gordian knot, and it was a tangled up mess. And they said, whoever can untangle this knot can rule the world. And many, many people had tried to untangle the knot and all they did was make it more of a mess. Alexander the Great came up to the knot. He saw it, he messed with it a little bit and then he pulled his sword out and he cut the knot in two and everything untangled. And they call that cutting the Gordian knot. You may not have heard that expression, but it's been around for a long, long time. And it's about somebody who has to take a shortcut. It was actually Alexander admitting his defeat He could not untangle the Gordian knot. And yet at the same time, he did it by taking a shortcut. Well, folks, the Lord's not going to have to take any shortcuts. He's not going to have to cut the knot. He knows how to untangle it. You and I don't. And there are world leaders. I think the Antichrist will be one of them who will appear to have the answers. But there's only one, only one who really and actually does. And he will fulfill all of his promises. Just a... little conclusion here, Uh, Stephen Miller said, recognize that excuses for lack of commitment are unacceptable to God. Determine that God and his kingdom will be your life's priority. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, confess it now and experience God's forgiveness and blessing. Rejoice in whatever task God has given you, whether small or great. Ask God to reveal any attitudes or actions that hinder your worship. Take heart in knowing that Christ is coming to destroy evil and to bring a wonderful new world. And that really is the fitting conclusion to the book of Haggai. Do what God has called you to do. Put your priorities in order, seeking first the kingdom of God. And as you do that, understand God has bigger plans than you and I can see, and he will do what glorifies him the most. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day, and uh, we will hopefully see you soon.